Ronananian. You know the car's in trouble when you start it up and there's a knocking sound from the front of the motor and it's 11,000 miles overdue on a 185,000 mile Lincoln Town car. Like, yeah, not so good. Don't underestimate. The car doctor. Now, are the senders fairly universal in the sense that uh, maybe the same sender that I would need on my vehicle would fit on, a, on another vehicle? Are they that universal or are they pretty model specific? Mm, they're, they, they're universal up to the point of tank design and construction. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... I just assumed it's not working. I can arrange that. Here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines and fire up your warp drive. Ronnie and Ian, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions, whatever that might be. Um, we are here to talk about cars if you're new to this radio show. And if you're old and you're still around, well, I must be doing something right. Tom and I and Mike and uh, we're all standing here saying, you know, let, let's talk about cars each and every week and do our best to bring you something that helps educate you and uh, in a fun way talk about the automobile. Yes, Tom? The one thing you didn't do right is you forgot to buy the tomato plants. Why? Because today's Naked Gardening Day. We could have been out before the show planting those tomato plants for you. Uh, yeah, I know, but I have i can't say that I've seen you naked, Tom, but I can only imagine. Um, and um, this is a show about cars, and it's not uh, about your fantasies about Michael. So, Well, may the 4th um, be with you. Yes, sir. May the 4th be with you is absolutely right. Um, we are here to talk about cars, a lot of crazy things. You know, Mikey was saying to me today, he said, um, before the show, he said, so how was the week in the shop? And I just kind of went numb. It was just one of those weeks that, that you know, like, wow, what could what could possibly top this week? We we talked about and did dealt with everything. It, it, um, it seemed that common sense was not in abundance this week, would probably be a polite way to say it, in that... There were several requests to tow vehicles in, and I'm not I'm not sure if I'm just too critical or or overdramatic or if it's me or. And in the request to tow vehicles in, um, do you have a towing service? No, we don't have a towing service. Oh well, how will I get it towed in? Well, do you have AAA? Yeah. Well, you could call them. Oh, that's right. And I don't understand that. I don't understand like that whole line of thinking has social consciousness left us all to the point that. We just expect everybody to think about everything to do. I don't know. I just, I don't get it. 96 Mazda had an appointment at the shop this week. And it started out as a problem that the gas gauge was broken. Okay, well, you know, get it in. And over the course of the next couple of days before the appointment, it went from the gas gauge didn't work to it doesn't start. Now, understand, whenever somebody calls in, you know, we've got a gas gauge problem, I will start to, you know, mention, hey, listen, try not to fill it up with gas. I may have to remove the tank. I may have to do some tank work, the sending unit, the fuel pump, whatever's got to come out. Try and keep it low. So, of course, my first question was, you know, did you run it out of gas? And I was assured it was not. And okay. So the car shows up and, yeah, it doesn't start. Cranks no start. Some basic diagnostic steps, and this sort of set the tone for the week. Some basic diagnostic steps, and 
within six moves, I knew I had a fuel problem. So within two more moves, I knew I had a problem back at the pump. Okay, well, let's see. If I remember right, on a Mazda Miata, to get to the fuel pump, you have to remove the fuel pump access plate, which is along the back deck lid, convertible car, you move the bucket seats all the way forward, and you squeeze your gigantic body compared to this car into the back seat area there, and you take off the deck lid. And when you take off the deck lid, then there's an inspection plate, you take that off. And now you're looking at the fuel pump removal plate, the the entire assembly. So you're, you know, you, you kind of get down close, and you're looking as close as you can because, gee, it just something's weird here. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of the left side of the access hole, pops up Mickey. You know, Mickey Mouse. The mouse is sitting in his chair. Remember, like, what are you doing in my car? I, 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 you know, there's there's few things I hate more than, than mice in cars. Probably a couple of German cars I could think of, but I won't mention anybody's name. But uh, I just, you know. Critters in cars, man. It just it's amazing. I cleared away what I thought originally was the matting that the factory put on to support the fuel tank and insulate it. It turns out it was insulation from somebody's house because it was that pink Corning's Dow fiberglass insulation that was stuffed up. I mean it was amazing. It 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 was absolutely amazing. So over the next three days, we set mouse traps. This is what my week was like. We set mouse traps every morning. Danny would come in because I wasn't going to go near it. Um, I'd been I'd been traumatized enough. Um, that's why you have employees. And uh, Danny goes go check the mouse trap. And actually, Carpenter Bob showed up because Carpenter Bob had the mouse traps. Um, he saves his mouse traps. That's a whole other story for another day. Uh, you know, Bob has mouse traps vintage from 1965. I'm not sure why. So. Uh, well, his theory is if you just wash it off, you can reuse it. Why spend the dollar twenty nine? The guy who's living on three bucks a day, and um, you know, we we set the mouse trap three times. We caught one mouse, and uh, you know, yesterday we pushed the car in and repaired the wiring harness, and it's it's ready to go, mouse free and running. Um, and and that was my week. And you know, there was the there was the twenty sixteen Ford F two fifty Super Duty pickup truck that the air conditioning stopped working. And it was low on refrigerant. And sure enough, found a leak in the condenser. Put refrigerant in after the vacuum test failed and sniffed around. And sure enough, there's the leak in the condenser. It's coming out the condenser, plain as the nose in your face. Hey, Ken, you need a condenser. Okay, we put a condenser in the truck. Fails vacuum test again. How could it fail a vacuum test? I don't... Wow, we've got two problems, same vehicle. Long story short, a little bit of diagnosis... I'm saying it's got to be the compressor. I reach down, and always remember this. Always learn to turn things when you're working on cars, right? Now, a, a, an air compressor has to have some resistance, okay? It's, it's pistons and a swash plate, and, you know, it's internal componentry. Well, if you can turn the front of the AC compressor like I could on this Ford truck and just go, and it spins around, you know, without any resistance, yeah, you got a problem. Broken AC compressor. So... We put a compressor in the truck. Yeah, that fixed it. By the way, when I got the compressor down, I could see the green dye that had seeped out the top of the compressor case where it was cracked. I did an autopsy on the compressor yesterday because I, I had to know what broke. I'm just, you know, what failed. And two of the pistons had oil laying right on top of them. So my suspicion is the customer um, 
and, and I say this with love because I, I know Ken a long time, um, probably broke his compressor. He was trying to charge the AC on his own. He was in a hurry, and I'm, I'm suspicious that he did something wrong. One of the things I don't like about the recharge AC on your own kick is I asked him, I said, did you have a gauge? No. You know, using the little suicide cans, as I call them, and, and charging AC without a gauge set, yeah, that's, that's a hand grenade. And I'm not 100% convinced that they're that safe. And the other factor becomes, how much do you put in? You know, the days of, the days of adding refrigerant until it blows cold are way over. And the specification, the capacity of the average AC system is so exact and so much smaller than we expect it to be. You've got to be, like, within an ounce Two ounces, you start to get the three, four ounces overcharged, and you're going to have a problem in the way that vehicle cools on a regular basis. So um, there was the there was that Ford F two fifty. There was a couple other things. I think I'm blocking them out. It was just it was just you know every job was just oh there was the Subaru the O three Subaru with the bad EGR valve. The EGR valve was stuck open, and. After the EGR valve, we did a carbon cleaning. I'm watching fuel trim numbers. They're getting a little better. And as I expected, while I'm on the road test, I'm looking at the air fuel sensor, and I'm seeing it go into the negative region. Okay, car needs an air fuel sensor. Bring it back, put it up in the air, go to take the air fuel, which to a lot of you is an oxygen sensor, right? And I go to take the oxygen sensor out, and it wouldn't budge. I, I even put my wrench extender on it about a four-foot piece of two-inch pipe that I have in the corner that I'm not supposed to tell anybody I have, especially the tool guy. So if he's listening, shh, don't say anything. And that wouldn't budget. Okay. So now we've got to heat it. Fortunately, I've got a an induction heater, which, by the way, those induction heaters work really well. It's it's the it's the electrical device with the, the cattle prod end on it, and you can actually lay it against the pipe, and it, 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 it gets it hot. It, it started to glow cherry red. It was just phenomenal. And the sensor starts to unthread, and about halfway out, it stops. Never a good sign. So now I've got to lower the pipe. We don't drop anything in auto repair. We try to lower things. Okay, we lower the car. We don't drop it to the ground. If we drop it to the ground, we went to lunch and stayed there. So, you know, heat the studs at the one end, heat the bolts at the front, take the pipe down, heat the exhaust, get the, get the air fuel sensor the rest of the way out. And sure enough, half the threads came with it, so I had to do a thread repair inside because it's the catalytic converter. What are you going to do, go out and buy a $2,000 cat? I don't think so. And then you're faced with the executive decision. You've got the pipe out. It's right in front of you. You've changed the upstream air fuel sensor. Do you change the downstream O2 sensor on the 15-year-old 140,000-mile 140, Subaru? Of course you do. You've got to be crazy not to. And... Change that, put it together. That car is fixed. All the numbers on that car make sense. Now everything lines up and it, 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 it runs like it's supposed to, and we'll go over that with the customer on Monday. The point becomes, as I tell you all the time, auto repair is like a roller coaster. You never know where it's going to lead you, and you never know what adventure you're going to be on next. But I do know this. When you get to the end of the week and you look at the list and you say, wow, I fixed all this, that sure beats sitting behind a desk some days, and I really love my job. 855-560-9900. I'm running Andy the Car Doctor. I'll be back to celebrate with you right after this. 
Little GTO, you really look in Three deuces and a four-speed and a 389. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to JC in Florida. JC, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I have a 2016 uh, Nissan Frontier uh, with only 20,000 miles. I bought it new three years ago. Okay. And I went to the dealership a couple of days ago, and they said that I'm due for a brake fluid change. And according to the book, it says at 20,000 miles, I need a brake, you know, to, to change the brake fluid. I don't know if that's excessive, or, or can can I leave that for for a little later? Whose whose book is it, JC? Uh, the, the Nissan, the Nissan book that um, that came with the with the owner's manual. Well, the, and and and, and and when I say that, does the book you're looking at does it have the name of the dealership on the cover? No. Okay, so this is Nissan printed it, Nissan referenced. It's Nissan manufacturer specific, as far as a manual. Correct. Then exactly. Okay. Because you know, and not, a, not not knocking dealers, but some of them do print their own reference material, their own maintenance material, and maybe in certain parts of the country, maintenance is going to be a little bit more or a little bit less than what the manufacturer recommends. I'm always amazed at how manufacturers try to regulate maintenance over such a broad scale of en- environment all across America and around the world, really, for that matter. At mm-hmm. at, at, at twenty thousand miles and three years old, theoretically. By the book, no pun intended, you are due for a brake flush. All right. Okay. The in- the industry in the last five years, if not a little bit longer, has decided that every two to three years on a brake fluid change is now considered normal maintenance. And and here's here's why it's beneficial to you. All right. You mm-hmm. know, a, a brake fluid change is is maintenance. It's sort of like putting on a, a, a hooded jacket before you go out in the rain so you don't get sick. It's, it's trying to prevent the truck from having dirty brake fluid. Once the brake fluid gets dirty, then it's then it's embedded in the system, and then it's, it's more laborious and more tedious to get it out of the system to make the fluid clean. Uh, a, a lot of the vehicles today, obviously ABS components, the master cylinders are aluminum with steel pistons. There's There's all sorts of different metals being used in brake systems today so much different so much more different than it was 30 and 40 years ago where it was you know it was steel and maybe a little bit of aluminum now everything is there's stainless steel in there there's there there's steel there's aluminum there's cast um, there's all types of metals being used in all types of vehicles and the idea is that brake fluid is hydroscopic which is the big college word it absorbs moisture over time and it, that moisture not only will break the fluid down and cause it to be not as effective, but it will also do damage internally to the brake system components. So keeping it fresh, keeping it clean, I you know what what could it cost for a brake fluid flush? A hundred bucks, hundred twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. They were saying about one twenty or something right. like that. Yeah. So you know it's 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 the cheapest maintenance you can do, and you know you'll be the guy that gets longer life out of the brake system components than the next guy that doesn't. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a longevity thing, too, JC. You know, a okay. lot of people don't want to do maintenance for that car. You know, and then, then when it gets to be 60, 70, 80,000 miles, then they wake up one day and go, hey, I'll start to maintain the car. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it's it, it sort of reminds me that the guy that gets to be 60, 65 years old, he's, 
he, he weighs 400 pounds, and then he goes, you know, I think I'll start going to the gym. Um, right. You know, it's two-thirds over. What are we doing here? Uh, right. You know, and, and I'm not trying to discourage anybody from taking care of themselves, but it's just it's it just strikes me as an odd time, and I guess everybody wakes up different. The bottom line is taking care of a car right from the get-go is really the proper way to do it. Um, okay. You know, cars are like kids. I say it all the time, and, and I'll continue to say it as long as I can, that um, – you know, when we were teenagers, we could go out and howl at the moon all night and get up the next day after 20 minutes of sleep and go to work on Saturday and, and Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, very, very unforgiving. I mean, our, our, our bodies could withstand, or I'm sorry, very forgiving. Our bodies could stand a lot of torment. Today, mm -hmm. 40, 50 years later, yeah, I don't think so. Not so much. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I woke up this morning, went to the gym. I sat down in my chair for breakfast. I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it happens. So okay. it happens. All right, kiddo? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, sir. You take good care. Yeah, it's you know maintenance is a maintenance is like going to the gym, right? It's it's sort of a mindset. It's it's how are we going to do it? I I I just sit there and scratch my head, and I've only been fixing cars 43 years, so I probably haven't really done it as much as everybody else. But I, I just sit there and I scratch my head when I see people come in and they you know they they tell me about the car's got 138,000 miles on it, the check engine light's been on for a year. And it's starting to make these funny noises. Maybe they should start to do some maintenance. Do you think changing spark plugs would help? Well, it probably would have about four years ago. Uh, probably would have been a real good idea seven years ago to do some fluids and services and fuel system cleaning. But, you know, at 138, my favorite line is I look at the car and I call them up and I say, what color? And they say, what color what? I say, what color do you want the new car to be? Um, because it's time. So um, nothing helps a car like maintenance. Nothing absolutely positively. It puts the odds in your favor, and it gives you the benefit of knowing you did everything right and uh, cuts down the odds of breaking down on the side of the road. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor and company here. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Real fine, my Welcome back. Ronald Andy, the car doctor here. Let's get over and talk to Scott in Maine, 99 Firebird. Scott, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? I have a, a really bad water problem. I, I think it's condensation. Um, year before last, I parked the car during, we had a couple, because I usually drive the car year-round. I've right. had it for three years, put 35,000 miles on it. And during an ice storm, I parked it because it was, you know, thawed, freezing thawed, and then I went to move it and had no oil pressure, rolled it in the barn, let it sit, warmed the garage up, and drained two quarts of crystal clear water, came out before the oil did, and I measured it to make sure I still had four and a half quarts of oil, two quarts of water. Change the oil, run it, and I had to keep changing the oil filters if it kept warming up and cooling off, and let me think, last year, same thing, I parked the car, went to start at no oil pressure, rolled it in the barn, again, full of water, and then, well, this past winter, so this winter, I flushed the motor out, changed the oil twice, parked it in the yard, when I went to start it up, pulled it, again, no oil pressure, pulled it in the barn, took out two and a half gallons of fluid out of it that looked like Cool Whip. Yeah, I don't, it, it, it doesn't strike me like, you know, to condense, to, did you say two quarts or two gallons? Uh, 
I took the first time I took two quarts of water because I separate. I let like to separate it to measure it. Right. First time was two quarts of water, and it was crystal clear because the water settled. It might have been conventional oil. I'm not sure. The, the last month when I did it, I let the car sit all winter because I didn't use it. I went to move it to plow around it, and it was full again. Uh, the last time, it didn't separate, but I took out two and a half gallons of fluid, and it was white and cre- pure white and creamy. Right, yeah, that's 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 contaminated oil. That's what contaminated oh. oil looks like. Okay, oh. And it didn't separate this time. Usually, I let it sit and separate so I can, you know, because I take the oil to the recycling place, but the stuff wouldn't separate. Right. No, it won't. Once it's once it's mixed like that, um, are are you adding any coolant to this car? No, no, I haven't added coolant in three years. Boy, I got to tell you, that's got to be some environment you're storing the car in. Uh, I'm leaving it outside, actually, on the gra- on grass. Okay. Well, guess what? You got to change the location. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the best answer I got. I mean, think about it. If you're not adding coolant to it. Yeah. All right. And it's sitting for how long at a spell? Uh, one time it only sat for about a week, and okay. that's when it had two quarts in it, and then it sat. Same thing, it sat for another couple of days, and it it didn't have a, as much in it. But this last time, I didn't even run the car. Wait a minute. I changed the oil, backed it out, and it sat for about a month and a half. You're telling me you let this car sit for a week, and it, it develops two quarts of oil? Two, yeah, two quarts of water night, in the was, coolant? Yeah. You sure? So crystal clear, crystal clear water. You, I drained, it, let it warm up, and I let it. I figured it'd settle. Water would settle to the bottom. Pull the plug, and that water is just as clear as could be. Two quarts right on the button, come what, out of it. What was the What was the weather like that week, Scott? And I'm serious. Oh, it was. It dropped down to like 20, then it warmed up and rained, then dropped back down, froze again, warmed up and rained. Right. You sure there's no way that? Um, I mean, the area is not getting flooded. That the cars. The vehicle's parked in? No, it's right in my driveway. It's up in a high spot. Well, i got to tell you, kiddo, I've never heard of that. I've, yeah. the, the only thing I can think of is you got to change environment. Um, the only way I would eliminate it, that it's... I'd have to put that car in a, in a, in a garage Yeah. And, and see what it does. And if you put that car in a garage and it condensates that much water through it and yeah. into the crankcase and you're not adding coolant... I'd have to ponder that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I can't. I can't imagine it, it condensating that much water without some exposure to the environment. Yeah, I, I, like I deliver to garages. I deliver engines and transmissions. So I've been asking everybody, and they, I know, it, like the oil filler has a gooseneck, and in the wintertime I'll park it in the garage. It's not heated, but. Even when I take it to work, when I park it, I'll pull the oil stopper off, and you can see the water condensating on the gooseneck and rolling back into the engine. As soon wow. as you shut the, when it's running, it doesn't do it. Just when you shut it off, you'll see the steam building up coming out of the engine, and it condensates on that gooseneck, rolls back into the engine. Right. How many so every mi- time I, out of curiosity, how many miles are on this? Uh, it had 119 when I bought it. I got 157 on it now. And how long have you had it? I've had it three years, and it set it set for four years without running before I bought it. Yeah, but you're driving you're driving it a decent amount. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, um, other than that episode of the clear water, have the last couple of times been contaminated oil? Um, when I let it set, yeah. If I drive it every day, and the temperature's right in the middle of summer, the hotter the better, no problem. In the winter time, if it stays below freezing. Not, I get a little condensation in the gooseneck, 
but it's just it seems like it's just in the spring and the fall when you get the the cycle freeze thaw cycle. You know, what if you it, it's just I'd really love to see, you know, for condensation to condensate two quarts of water out of the air. Yeah. What if you set an what if you set a metal can next to it, a closed metal can next to the vehicle? Yeah. In the weather? How much water accumulates there? Oh, just to measure the con the air con the moisture in the air. Right. It wouldn't be yeah. that much. So there's there's got to be a reason why that car is condensating two quarts, which is such an excessive amount. I've seen oil contaminated. I've seen sludge build up. I've seen yellow paste, but not a physical two quarts of water on yeah. on on top of you know. The next time you park this thing and you shut it off and you let it sit before you start it, are you checking the dipstick? Yeah. And so are you saying it's two quarts up because it's up high on the dipstick or? Uh, well, no. When I the first time I started and let, was letting it run because it was a big block of ice, right? And, and it was running fine. Then the motor started knocking, so I got in, looked at it, lost the oil pressure. Um, the dipstick was actually frozen in a block of ice in the oil pan, so I couldn't get it out. And um, this this spring, when I checked it, after I changed oil, didn't even drive the car. I changed oil, backed it out in the yard. The it was milky white, and it was halfway up the dipstick, so I knew something was wrong. Right, but you've, then I, you've that's when I drained it, and that time I took out two and a half gallons of fluid out of it. Right, oil you've, and water mixed. You you've measured the, the 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 time with the clear water. You measured that as two quarts. Exactly, yeah, it was two quarts. I uh, took the oil out, then dumped it in two gallon jugs and let it settle out, so I could measure it. Wow, and you haven't added coolant to this car in three years. No, it runs it runs right on the button. It runs right at one ninety. 195 and the oil pressure is right up around 90 pounds. And the oil level and, and the oil level hasn't changed. I mean the coolant level hasn't changed. No, no. Okay, it's got to be environment. <clears throat> I I change it and put it in a heated garage or a garage of some type. Get it out of the weather and then you know if the problem goes away, at least you know it's environment. Now we've got to figure out why the car is attracting so much moisture. But in 40 something years of auto repair, I've never seen that. Yeah. There's not a lot of these cars up. I know the oil pan only sits like six inches, six to eight inches off the ground. It's yeah, really low. But that doesn't make it. That that's not gonna. You know what? If you think that's the case, put put some sort of a barrier down to keep to keep it drier under the vehicle. If you're laying it, if you're doing it on a gravel driveway or or, a, or an earthen driveway, how about a barrier of plastic or a barrier of plywood or something, something to break, um, you know, its proximity to the ground in that sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah I I did do that. I put a I put a sheet of that uh, bubble insulation, that f the foil faced, and uh, it, now I don't it, it I don't know if it helped or if it was the weather conditions, but it wasn't as bad when I did that. Right. So well, like I but said, I, it, I've been I've been asking everybody and drive. You know, I'm getting it gets pretty expensive changing oil every week. So. Well, yeah, that that's like I said. There's something odd there. I would I would. Do you have a garage? I have a garage. It's not heated, but when I park it in there, if the weather changes, the entire car gets soaked underneath. There's just water hanging off the motor, and all my tool in my toolbox is water, beads all over it. And it just it's a mess in there when, it, when the temperature's right. So your toolbox in the car, or your toolbox in the garage. In the garage, if I put the car in there, everything's wet when okay. the weather changes. So you're saying if the if the car is outside of the garage, and it gets wet. The toolbox in the garage does not. No, and when the uh, if I, I I put the car in the garage, 
the middle of winter, if it's cold, it's all right. But when the, in, the, if the temperature changes, uh, I pop the hood on the car, the entire motor soaked, underneath the car soaked, all my tools, my tool, anything metal in my garage is also wet. So right. So it's, it envi- so it's environment. Yeah, I just, I, I just can't understand how that much water is collecting in the engine. Neither can I, brother. I've got to tell you. <laughs> uh, and let me ask you this question. Do you have another vehicle you drive? I have five. I have five vehicles. I like the old ones. I got a '91 Dodge Ram. I got an '02 Saturn, and I have my Firebird and this my is new the, car. This is the only one that collects water. Yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. Listen, let me uh, let me ponder that, but do some of the changes I I told you about. And let's see what happens. Let's talk again in a couple of months. I'm Ron Annie, the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back. i the car doctor. Let's go over and talk to Mike in Delaware, 13 Nissan. Mike, what's going on? Hey, uh, Ron, I've got a uh, 2013 Nissan Altima uh, 2.5. I'm having trouble with the alarm going off in the middle of the night, particularly, although I have an OBD reader that I have uh, from Verizon. Okay. And I was just looking at it while I was waiting. I've got about 20 indications. Started in October. And I, I thought, okay, battery's probably beat. Went in, got a new battery. Uh, everything was quiet for a while. And then in March, it started going off in the middle of the night. And it is, I will tell you, it is a salvage car that was donated to my uh, disabled veteran son right. that I sort of traded in for. And uh, works fine otherwise. Okay. And the things that I've noticed are the uh, the remote is erratic in trying to set it. Uh, the battery did get replaced again by the the uh, the auto parts store. They said there was something wrong with it. It was quiet until last, you know, two nights ago, about one fifteen right. a.m. Of course, most of the time it's in the middle of the night. Yeah, your neighbors must um, love you. Oh, oh yeah, it's, yeah, and it's 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 awesome. I mean, I yeah. run out there in the middle of the night, and right. you know, sometimes I'm not even not even here during the day when it goes off, but. So let's do this. Um, and let's, the trunk release is not working as radically, okay. too. I'm not sure what that is. So let's let's do this, all right? Um, salvage title aside, because salvage title means the car was in an accident and it was repaired and the insurance company said, hey, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's junk, but we'll fix it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So salvage title possibilities aside, which I could talk for the next three years on what could, what could go wrong with that. Um, two key yeah. areas. At the at on the driver's side at your feet where your left foot sits in that area, mm-hmm. there is a service junction. There's a main harness service junction. All right. If you peel yeah. back the carpet and that kick panel area, you'll see a main mm-hmm. harness plug. You'll see a series of main harness plugs in there. Key off in your hand so it's not going to start the car, etc. If you want, disconnect the battery cable. Look at that junction mm-hmm. box. Unplug those connectors. All right. Are they spotlessly mm-hmm. clean? Does something look like it's growing cauliflower and broccoli? Is it corroded in there? Because typically mm. what happens, moisture gets in there, and that is the main junction block for the vehicle. Mm. Great, great great, place to put it down lower. Moisture collects, right? Um, at least you're not like mm-hmm. the previous caller with the 99 Firebird. This car wouldn't even run at this point. So, you know, yeah. do, do that. Take a look at the service junction block down on the left side. The other possibility is that the door switches. There's a switch in each door 
for setting the alarm, you know, it tells it open, close, etc. Those break down. Mm-hmm. They get they get moisture on them and they'll short to ground. And when it shorts to ground, the path to ground is completed. It sets off the alarm. But the fact that you have, and I mean, it could be either or, and it's a matter of looking at the switches in the doors and so on. The driver's door is probably the most common. But it's it's a matter of look at the service junction module first because you're telling me the trunk release doesn't work. And the fact that the trunk release doesn't work tells me it's a multi-tiered issue. And I would look very carefully at that. It's got to be clean connections, no moisture, no corrosion. And at that point, unfortunately, I'm sorry, it would need a wiring harness. Typically, that's what happens unless you can painstakingly clean everything and prevent the short circuit. So take a look at that. Call me back, and uh, I'll do my best to continue to, you know, we'll fix this thing. 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Hey, Bonanini, the car doctor. Let's get right into it. Jason Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Jason, what's going on here, babe? Jason? Jason going once, Jason going twice, and the boys in the control room are scratching their heads. Is Jason there? Jason, you there? This is Jason. Jason, there we go. We knew you were there somewhere. So uh, we had a misfire. Yeah. We had a misfire hey. in the control room. What's going on with this car? Hey, sorry about that. That's um, right. So it's a '96 Lexus, uh, 4.5 liter, inline six. Right. And I am having a difficulty. Uh, the check engine light will come on. It's a PO 300, which is a random misfire. But it only comes on after the vehicle has been running uh, for about 30, 40 minutes. And when you come to a stop, it will usually come on then or when you start going again. And um, no hesitation. Um, I, doesn't, it, there's no miss in it, really. And I've been trying to track this down now for a year. And I've been changing parts. Um, it's made, actually, I, I've changed multiple parts, and it seems to run a lot better, but still bring it on that code how many, um, how many, i'm going how, back to square one how many miles on, how many miles on this car jason uh 170,000. okay so do you have a scan tool i do it's a generic scan tool. that's okay obd2 fixes a lot of cars go into ob this is what i want you to do i want you to go into obd2 do you understand fuel trim uh I do understand it. I just don't know how to operate on my scan tool, but I can, I'm sure there's a YouTube video. Well, yeah, go to, go to listen, bring it up on your scan tool. You're going to look for long-term fuel trim and short-term fuel trim. They're probably the most important PIDs in this case. What I'd like to see is, as, as you know, when you start out, fuel trim is going to be one thing. As the vehicle warms up and goes into closed-loop operation, it's going to level off and be what, it's, be what it is. When the misfire occurs... How does the fuel trim change? What does it become? Pay more attention to the short-term fuel trim. That's the reaction of the moment. Long-term fuel trim is history. Long-term is what you had for dinner last night. Short-term is what you're eating right now. Think of it like that. Once you understand that, write some numbers down, call me back, and we'll kind of go from there. I'm Ron and Andy in the car, Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. Everyone. 